happens right now, but I discovered with Facebook, there's a lot of people who watch after the stream is over. And we get 70, 100 views a week uh, on this. So this is really good. And um, it's a great way for you to share uh, your faith even when you have a, a message that you think might be helpful for somebody, share it. Uh, you can stay at home and you don't even have to talk to anybody. You press a button and you're sharing something on our Facebook page and that's a way to reach people. You'd be surprised how many people are discovering our church through Facebook and through uh, our church's website, okay? Uh, so we're, we're continuing the series that we started a few weeks ago called Gifted. And this is based on um, the idea, the concept that God is a very, very generous giver of gifts. And I'm not talking about financial, tangible gifts necessarily. I'm talking more about spiritual gifts. And there's a number of uh, lists in the Bible's New Testament especially where the writers go into quite a lot of detail about the gifts of God and how these things should be operating in people's lives. And there's just a huge amount of material. And I've discovered that a lot of people who are church people, they don't know what their gifts are. They don't know if they're using their gifts. They feel like they're somehow exempt and they don't have any gifts. And, you know, they're just sort of, uh, well, I just come to church and that's all. And I'm not really gifted. Well, that isn't, that isn't true when you read the Bible. Uh, God wants to use each and every person. And even people who aren't uh, people of faith, you can still see sometimes the thumbprint of God in their lives. And you can see they're capable of amazing things, things that seem like, wow, how's that person able to do that? Well, that's because God puts his thumbprint on all of our lives, you see. And when we surrender to him, the gifts of God through the Holy Spirit start to become more and more apparent in our lives. So you can listen to the previous messages online. We also record the audio. It's on our website. It's on iTunes. Um, so you can listen to those to catch up. But last week we talked about a little bit more about, uh, I use the term manifestational gifts. These are gifts that are supernatural workings of the Holy Spirit and a little bit of leadership gifts as well. And we talked about them a bit last week. You'll see them in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul's letter to that church, the apostle, we love that word today, the prophet, the teacher, the worker of miracles, the, the, the person with the gift of healings, the person with the gift of helps, the gift of administration, the gift of tongues, just so much diversity in there. And we talked about the diversity in that list um, and how God has arranged each person, you know, as part of this, this great team, this great body. And uh, we talked about um, the, whole, the whole idea of how we should be zealous for these gifts, um, to seek these gifts. It's not just something that sort of automatically happens. We have to be looking for them to happen. We have to want them to happen in our lives. And we talked about love as the, the kind of underlying principle for the work of the gifts of the Spirit. And there's a difference between being in love and having love in you. 
There's a difference between those two. And uh, the chapter in 1 Corinthians 13 is not speaking about romantic relationships or marriages or weddings, even though it's read at, at Christians, Christian weddings typically. It's not really, that's not what the author has in mind. What he has in mind is the work of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how love should undergird the work of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. And um, we talked, we looked at that, that love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and uh, what love is and what love is not. You know, love is patient and kind and it always protects and always trusts and always hopes and always perseveres and rejoices with the truth and never fails. And not love is a whole bunch of other things. And there, I've seen people who even church people and they're, they're on one or two, one of those two columns. Sometimes they're living in the not love side and sometimes they're living in the love side. And that's regardless of whether or they're married, single, or whatever. This has to do with a person's character. This has to do with the, what's going on in the motives of the heart. And when there's the not love side, well, don't expect the gifts of the Spirit when you're on the not love side, okay? And so Paul talks about the way of love and the gifts of the Spirit follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. So today we're going to move more into what I will term the leadership gifts, okay? And this is in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, our next list here, and uh, I'll zero in on verses 11 to, to uh, 16. So before we look at Romans 12, and then 1 Corinthians 12, and now we'll look at Ephesians chapter 4, just picking it up here, uh, verse 11, it was he, the he being Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, and some to be prophets, and some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure and fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants. Remember the image he used in 1 Corinthians 13. When I was a child, I talked like a child. Here he's using it again. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every kind of, uh, of craftiness and scheming of men. Uh, very, very direct there. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. For from him, the whole body, there's that image again of a physical body, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love. You see it again there as each part does its work. The leadership gifts. This, this list of gifts is, there's so much commotion about this in the Christian world. I mean, you, you, there's, you can read books and hear hundreds and perhaps thousands of sermons on the, the five-fold ministry, some people call it. And they say, okay, this is what an apostle is. This is what a prophet is. This is what an evangelist is, what a pastor, a teacher, and on and on and on and on. 
And, and that's all good, and I could try and define these things. We've already been through some of it already. You see this term apostle in 1 Corinthians 12. We see it in uh, Romans 12. We see it in 1 Corinthians 12. We see it in Ephesians 4. Okay, fine. We could sit and define all these things. But what is of more interest and what is often not talked about is what is the role of all these folks? Because we think that, oh, you know, the apostle, that's the... That's the super duper duper, like the, the 10 on 10, the elite Christian, that's the apostle, you know? And the prophet, they're not too far behind that. The evangelist, yeah, it's pretty good too, you know? And the pastors and teachers, they're a little lower on the sort of food chain. And, but, you know, and we, and we kind of term these things and, and try and define these things. But what really is the role of these people? What is the role? And they're clearly leaders that you see here because they have a job to do. And what's so interesting is that the job that these leaders have to do, Paul doesn't say, well, they need to preach great sermons. They need to lay their hands on the sick and see them recover. That's the role of the apostle and the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher. You know, they need to do uh, uh, pastoral counseling, and they need to do visitation. They need to do all. That's the role of these people. It's not that he's saying it's not the role of these people, but what he's saying is ultimately there's a bigger goal. And this is what we so often miss. The role is to train and equip God's people for works of service. Not, it, it, and it, it, it includes all of the obvious things. Yes, the evangelist is supposed, to, is supposed to communicate the gospel and see people get saved. Yes, the apostle is that sent forth person. Yes, Paul talks about the apostle and the authentication of the apostle as being miracles and so on. Yes, 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 that's all true. But ultimately, at the end of the day, the work of these leaders is to train and equip God's people for works of service. And that has a much, much broader meaning than we typically think of it in our little Christian subculture. And we think works of service, again, that's the person who's on the stage, that's the, that's the preacher, that's uh, the singers and the musicians and the upfront people that everybody sees, and that's the work of the ministry, and that's service, and everybody else just comes and sits and watches. And that's what we kind, of, we kind of do today, especially in the 21st century, especially in the North American Christian subculture. We kind of have this mentality. Well, you know, these are the people and they're doing ministry and maybe we'll include some people who teach kids and a Sunday school teacher. Well, that's ministry and we'll put a missionary in there. Yeah, that's ministry. That's, that's service. But we just come and watch them. The, the Bible would teach the absolute opposite. So this word here, uh, to prepare God's people for works of service, I like the way that the King James, uh, the old King James from 1611 renders it. They say, the perfecting of the saints for the work of ministry. Service in the newer versions, ministry in the older versions. There's a Greek word there that, that's used throughout the New Testament. It's this word that we get the word deacon from. And it meant back then to serve. It meant you, it's basic service. You're moving something from A to B. You're, you're doing um, a, a job where you're serving. 
In fact, they would actually use this word to refer to what slaves did. They would serve. And it wasn't, it wasn't something that was up front and that was glorious and that everybody saw. But this is, this is the word that's used. You see the same word used in, with reference to Jesus. So the Son of Man did not come to be served, same word, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. The work of the ministry is so much broader than the preacher, the teacher, the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the evangelist, and so on. It's so much broader than that. So this morning, we, we, we arrived at about 7.30, uh, my family and uh, some other folks who are helping to do the setup, 7.30 in the morning, ready, ready to go to set up all this, all this stuff, you know. And the door's locked. Door's locked. Um, and so we're waiting outside. This is the second time this has happened this month. And, and then the manager comes. And, you know, I gave her a little bit of Christian what for when she came out of the car. And uh, hopefully that will all get cleared up. And, uh, but, you know, the, the people who show up here at 730 in the morning and start plugging in gear and getting wires ready and getting the sound and the video and the lights and all the stuff ready. Do you know what that's called? Ministry. That's the work of the ministry. And, and even though you say, well, you know, it's not preaching, teaching. Well, if you didn't have the person who plugged it in, you wouldn't be able to hear anything. And the only time that we notice some of these folks who, who do all of this behind the scenes work is when something goes wrong. That's when we say, hey, what's wrong? You know, well, look at the sound guy. What's wrong? What's wrong? You know, that, but that's the work of the ministry, you see. And when you, when you came in this morning, you were probably greeted by somebody at the door. Well, that's the work of the ministry. That's the work of service. That's the work of the ministry. And when you, when you came to, the, to the, this area where we are, you've got all kinds of stuff happening there. The person, people who run that, that table and who run that little device to, to take your offering when you, you give out of a serious intent to worship God and they facilitate that. You know what that's called? That's called ministry. The people who are taking care of the kids right now, that's called ministry. Person who presses the button on the computer to make the label come out so you check your kids in. You know what that's called? Ministry. The person who brought the pears in today without being asked, you know what that's called? Ministry. Uh, yeah, the people who are on the, on the stage, who are, who are singing and who you see, yeah, that's ministry too. The person who put the little cards in the, in the little, little cup holders there, that's called ministry. That's ministry. The people who are handling the offering, that's ministry. The person who turns on the, the cleaning lights here on and off before the end of the service and so on, you know what that's called? Ministry. So we need to define, we need to broaden our understanding of what ministry is because the, the, the part that I'm doing right now, this is, this is the cream on the, on the cake. This is, this, for me, this is the easy part of ministry. It's a big part, but it's the easy part. It's all of the other things that all the other people who make ministry happen and that's, that's hugely, hugely significant. So regardless of whether a person's seen or heard by many or seen and heard by few, that's not the issue. Each person has a role to play. Each person has a part to play like a body. 
And in a human body, you've got some tiny little things that are going on that are really, really vital to the health of the body. And if those things don't happen, you've got a body in trouble. So I, what I want to do is I want to give you four principles. I'm going to do a little bit of training and equipping here, okay? I want to give you four principles of ministry or service, if you like that word, that are going to work anywhere, these will work in a, in a local church context like this one. If you're involved in, the, in this local church, with like, which is like two-thirds of you or 80% of you, they'll work in this, in this context for sure, but they'll work out in your job. They'll work in your, in your marketplace. They'll work in your classroom. They'll work in your sports team. Uh, these principles are going to work anywhere. And if you, if you live by this, you're going to see heads turn. Because people will wonder, where is that ethic coming from? I'm just going to give you four little principles, and they all start with P, okay? First one, ministry or service, this is a priority. This is not something small. This is not no big deal. Uh, what we're doing right now, it's not just, well, so what? It's church. Um, I have found over the years, and maybe some of you have found it too, we, we tend to separate the real world from the church world. <laughs> so we have this kind of line between the secular and the sacred. We, we've built a little Christian subculture, and then we have the broader culture that we actually live in. Okay, so it's kind of like this, you know, I have my, I have my family, I have my, my, my home, I have my finances, I have my health, I have my relationships, I have my job, I have my hobbies, my whatever, vacation, and this is all kind of the real world that I operate in, and then I'm part of church, but that's like almost a bit of a subculture, it's, it's its own different thing. Like I've noticed people actually think more when they're out, outside of a church context than they are in a church context. So I often joke that whenever there's a church event, people sometimes, they have this magic zipper on the back of their head. They unzip the zipper. They remove the brain. They put it over in a canister over here, and they just kind of stop thinking. <laughs> Who told you to stop thinking when you're in church? or at a church meeting, who told you to stop reading signs when you're in a church thing? Who told you that all of a sudden you turn into a, a kind of a, a me mental, emotional infant when you're in a church context? Like, who said that? Who said that there's a difference between the secular and the sacred, and there's some line that we cross? Well, now I'm in church on Sunday, and so I'm in my sacred space, and after that, I go out into the secular space. Like, who said that? Not the Bible. In the Bible's view, it's all together. So you don't have your, well, three hours on Sunday, and that stays over there. And then I have the, everything else, which is kind of the real world that I operate in, and that's over there. It, it, the two are not separate in the mind of God. So ministry is, is a priority of life. You're not just doing ministry when you're in church. You should be thinking about your whole life is ministry. Whether you're in the church context or you're out in your school, marketplace, classroom, whatever, that's, you have an opportunity to do ministry there. 
I worked in the, in the marketplace for many, many years and was a very, very active volunteer in my church before I got hired on a church staff and started doing this full time. Even now I have a, I have a little part-time job where I serve at the, at the mission a couple of days a week. You, you've heard about that many times from me. For me, there's no difference. For me, it's all ministry. If I'm over there, that's ministry. If I'm over here, that's ministry. If I'm being paid, it's ministry. If I'm not being paid, it's ministry. For me, there's no difference. And there shouldn't be for you either. It doesn't matter what you're doing in life. You have an opportunity to do ministry every day of your life. Your life is not, you're not just here to mark time. You are here to do God's will what is his will for you to do? What gifts has he given to you? He doesn't want you just using them in a church context. He wants you using them in your life. You could be the evangelist of your school. You could be the evangelist of your office. You could be the apostle of your garage. I mean, it's not, well, it's all in the church or it's nothing. No, it's all everything. God wants ministry for each and every life. It is a priority. And when you start thinking of it like that, wow, that's, that changes your whole, whole perspective. Let me, let me try and show you this. Uh, there's a little video that I found uh, online. I think it's 20 seconds long. It's got 8 million views, which is the, the size of this province. Okay, I want to I show you this just with this little clip. Go ahead. So I don't know if, uh, I don't know what language it is. Maybe it's Portuguese, maybe it's Spanish, but this is what the person says. When you want to serve, no excuses. No excuses. You see this guy, he's vacuuming the church carpet. You know, he's, he's, he's got physical limitations. He doesn't care. And he's, he's, he's working, he's vacuuming the carpet because for him, that's ministry, you see. And that's, that's just as important as the preacher who's going to get up who knows when and preach in that church. It's just as important. In fact, he's preaching his own sermon right there. Because he's showing you this is ministry. It's, it, it should encompass your life. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 talking about the, the importance of what we're doing right now. It says, do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together, but encourage one another while it's still called today. Do not forsake it as some in the, are in the habit of doing. You're not just, you're not just it's not just church. I mean, you, you don't know what's going on in the life of the person next to you. You think you do, but you don't. And oftentimes people come to church and they're, they're looking for, they're, they're in a desperate situation. And they're looking for something of God to show up 
and give them a little bit of encouragement. They're as lonely as ever. You know, people today are as lonely and as isolated as ever. Even with all of the technology we have, it's actually making things worse. People are more lonely and more isolated. And sometimes they're coming into a church to see, does anyone care enough to notice me? Because I'm not noticed anywhere else. People are discouraged. People are dis distressed. People are depressed. People are without hope. People are questioning everything. It is the local church who has the answer that can give people hope out of hopelessness, that can give people light who are in darkness, that can give people courage who are discouraged, where people start building relationships in the community and context of faith. I'm telling you, there's something very, very powerful about that. And that's never going to go away because that's Jesus's business. This is his business. He's building it and he's going to keep building it until he returns. Thank God it's not my business. It's his business. Thank God it's not your business. It's his business. And he's doing his work. It's not just church, my friends. And the ministry is not just for church. It is for your life. You've got to consider this as a priority. Ministry is your priority. You're, you're ministering in your family. You're ministering everywhere you go. Do you realize it? Do you see it? Or do you not? Because you're, just not, you're not just here to, to mark time and then leave this world. God has a plan, a purpose for you. Next P. And I don't think I've ever heard anyone preach on this, but I'm going to try and give you a few minutes on P for promptness and punctuality, all right? And why does that even matter? Here's, here's what I find, okay? And I'm just going to be really super transparent to you. Uh, I've been going to church for 30 years every Sunday, okay? I've preached in probably 20, 30 churches as far away as B.C., uh, I've preached in Haiti, I've preached in Cuba, I've, I've preached in New Brunswick, I mean, I've preached in many churches in Quebec, uh, Ontario, okay? It's really interesting when you, again, when you, people have this kind of division between the secular and the sacred, and well, you know, church has its own subculture, but then there's sort of the real world out there. It's very interesting when you study this issue of promptness and punctuality. I mean, when I was growing up and when I was, I played sports, man, if I was late for a, for a game, even a game that I wasn't playing in, whew, I mean, that was a serious, like, cardinal sin. That was a transgression <laughs> to be late. Back in my day, okay, so I'm pushing 50 years old. So when I was 15, 16, playing sports, 17, 18, 19, you, you weren't late. Like my, my daughter is, is on a competitive dance team. They're at a competition, even practice. These kids don't show up late. The fear of God is in these kids. It's amazing. I mean, they, they, they don't cross that line of lateness, you know, because there's a, there's a whole series of consequences that happen. I mean, any, are any of you late for your job? Likely, if you are, more, more than enough times, you'd be looking for another job, right? So I just find it really interesting that, well, you know, it's just, it's just church. And come on, don't tell me the Bible says anything about being prompt and being punctual. Are you sure it doesn't? 
Um, so a couple of weeks ago, we, we looked on Wednesday night at the whole, the whole worship system in the Old Testament and the, the, the Day of Atonement that the Jewish people will still observe today, even though they have no temple, no tabernacle to do it in. But they had a whole crazy, very serious system to atone for sins. Let me tell you, if you were a priest and you had to do all that stuff, you didn't show up late. <laughs> if you were the high priest and you showed up late on the day of atonement, God would make sure you wouldn't be the high priest anymore. Do you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, you see there's a very, God is very organized and very orderly and very prompt. You see in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul talking about the gift, gift of tongues, the public use of the gift of tongues and how, hey, he says one at a time and there has to be an interpreter. He's very concerned, Paul, about how things work in time. Um, have you ever seen a body part late? You know what happens when your heart pumps late? You're, you're, in, you're in some deep trouble. You may need a pacemaker or, I mean, if it's pumping late, if it's late on the job, you're in serious trouble. You know what happens when your, your process of DNA replication is late? That's a deadly problem. If that little part is not doing its job. If that cell is not replicating properly and that DNA is not copying itself on time, you're in serious, serious trouble. This is the image that Paul uses. He uses a body. Wow, if your body, if there's a body part late, that body part is sick. And the whole body may be sick as a result, okay? Let me tell you why it's so important in the context of a local church or at your job or whatever. Someone comes in, someone's there to greet them. Someone's there to greet their children. Someone's there, someone takes notice of them, someone sees them, someone talks to them, someone introduces themselves to the new person, and they feel like, wow, somebody actually cares about me. And you know why? Because someone was on time to do their their little job, whatever it was. Someone was on time to press the little buttons on the thing so you weren't distracted when you were singing. Someone was on time. They were there. They showed up. They were on time. They were even early. Early is a good thing, especially when you're portable because everything goes wrong every week when you're portable. <laughs> There's always a new problem to fix. Why is that going wrong? I don't know, but thank God I'm early. At least I can fix it, right? So, Punctuality, promptness in the body of Christ, it matters, let me tell you. It matters when people are new. It matters. They really think that someone cared enough to be there on time for them. And someone was prepared for them. Hey, I, I wish I could say, you know, well, people, they, they come to churches and they stay in churches because of the preaching. Can I just burst your bubble? It's not true. People come to churches and stay in churches because they really think someone cares about them. Because they really think that it's not just all about the preacher or the apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist. It's about everybody. People want to be part of something bigger than themselves. This one over here came because someone noticed them. This one over here came because they saw something on Facebook. Somebody shared something on Facebook and cared enough about them to invite them. And they came and they showed up and they met somebody and they made a connection. They have a friendship that's growing as a result. It's not because they say, oh, you've got a super preacher. 
That's a sick church when it's all centered around the preacher. But when it's around all of us, you see, because all of us have a part to play, well then, punctuality and promptness can matter. And when people show up and they're there and they say, I punched the clock today. I mean, it's minus 20, but I'm in. I'm in. God honors that. You try that at your workplace. When, when, you, when you, and I, I punch a clock where I work, okay, at my little second job. And I make sure as soon as I punch that clock, I start working. Because they're all watching me, the preacher. They want to see, is the preacher lazy? Is the preacher going to punch the clock and go have a cup of coffee? Or is he lazy? And let me tell you, they're watching. And when they know you're a Christian, they're watching you too. And they want to see, well, wow, they're always late. Hmm. Well, are they always on time or they're always early? Then they take notice. They say, wow, the person really cares, really cares about what they're doing. So I, I don't want to spend too much time on this because I know, I mean, I was with a family yesterday and we were actually joking about how difficult it is to go to church on Sunday morning. Any of you with families, you know that, you know that story, right? You got to get the kids ready. You got everyone ready. And it's like, I mean, it's the most unholy, most unsanctified moment is Sunday morning in the car with the kids, right? That's when, that's when all breaks loose <laughs> because everybody is all depressed or stressed. And it's like, oh, you know, we're late again. Okay. So I don't want to go too hard on you, but there is a biblical precedence for promptness and punctuality. Watch God bless your life when that's part of your life, part of your ministry. Number three, P for preparation. Whatever you're doing, again, your church, your school, your job, whatever, are you prepared to, to do it? I have seen people and, and I'm just going to use a broad example, okay, just broad, broad. I've been attending church for 30 years, been to many churches. I'm going to be very broad. And I have seen people, and you can tell, all they're doing is, is saying to themselves, listen, my talent is going to carry me through Sunday morning. I don't need to prepare. I don't need to rehearse. I don't need to practice. I don't need to look at the kids' material. I can wing it. It's just church. I can wing it. No one's going to know. I have seen that many, many times. Listen, let me tell you, your talent, what's more important than your talent is your character. And when people prepare for what they have to do, school, work, church, whatever it is, when they're actually prepared, it actually, God sees that and God honors that. You know what happens when a physical body is not prepared when a to do a particular job. You know how you prepare a physical body? Well, you eat, you sleep, you eat well, you sleep well, you, you feed yourself. Why? Because when you do that, you're preparing your body to do something. You exercise, that prepares the body for works of service. This is the image that Paul uses. We need to do the same thing. Are you prepared to do what you do? Let me tell you, if I got up here and was unprepared on Sunday mornings, half of you would say, oh, come on, we could smell a rat, Pastor. You, you didn't even prepare this week. We're going to the church down the street because you didn't even prepare. I have to prepare 20, 30 hours sometimes for a sermon. Depends on the sermon. Because why? It's the work of the ministry. And when you prepare, church or not church, 
you will see God bless it. And finally, this last one, and this is one that is often not thought about. I call it the preferring of others from Romans chapter 12, preferring others above yourselves. Philippians chapter 2, think of the needs of others before you think of the needs of yourself. Let me give you a big secret. Those of you who work in a team atmosphere where you've got to hand the ball, you've got to hand the project to somebody else down the chain, someone else has to figure out your your chicken scratch, your spaghetti. Someone else has to figure it all out. Let me tell you, you think about that person who's next down the line before you think about yourself. You're doing exactly what Jesus did. Exactly. Who being in very nature, God did not consider himself uh, 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 worthy and, and in grasp of it, and he emptied himself. It being in very nature, God, he emptied himself and went to death on a cross thinking of others before himself. And we are to model the exact same thing. It doesn't mean you don't think about yourself, but when it's observed that you are there and you are serving other people. Let me tell you, they take notice and they wonder, how is it possible that this person, even in a hostile context, they still serve other people? I've met Christians and that's their way of witnessing. They're there and they're serving people in their business, in their team, in their office. And they show a lifestyle of thinking about others before they think about themselves. And it gets people scratching their heads, saying, "How? why are you doing that? People, people don't even notice. Why are you doing that? Because God notices. And you're being just like Jesus when you do it. In a church context, oh, I've seen so many funny things in a church context. Where people, especially when it comes to tech, people leave stuff in an absolute frenzy. It is a mess. And then the next person who has to come and pick it up says, what is this? This is, this is spaghetti. This is a mess. What was this person thinking when they did this? I have to translate this. I have to interpret this. I have to try and figure this out. How come that person didn't make it easier for me? And it's even more intense in a portable church context because everything gets put away and everything gets put back, put away, put back, put away. I've been in, in churches where they have a permanent facility. And what I, what I tend to do is I go up to their sound booth and I go look behind their sound console. That's my big test. If I see a pile of spaghetti... That tells me one thing. If I see everything nice and neat, labeled and all that, that tells me quite another. One is chaos. One is frustration. One is, oh, how do I fix this problem? I can't even see what this is. It's all buried in a little thing. It looks, it looks like a pile of spaghetti. The other, the person's thinking about the next person down the chain. Because that's what Jesus modeled. You work that way. You minister that way. It doesn't matter what you're doing in life. That, that kind of principle, you're going to see the blessing of God because that's ministry. It's way beyond the upfront stuff that everybody sees and everybody kind of envies and covets. It's way, way, way beyond that. I'm telling you, as someone who's worked in the marketplace and in the ministry and is now doing technically both at the same time, I am telling you from experience, okay, 
you, you grab a hold of these principles, you are, it's going to change your whole perspective as to how you even live your life. Because you are not here, my friends, just to mark time. God has you here for a reason, for a purpose, for a very specific role that he wants you to play before you go to meet him on the other side. What is that role? If you'd come to the, to the, the stage, uh, the musicians, and we'll finish uh, the, with that great, that's great song. The, I want to sing a new song. Hopefully that'll bring some heat in here and maybe they're working on the heat problem. Thank you, musicians. I know it's cold up here on this stage. So thank you so much. You're dressed up and you're all in coats and poor Iggy from South Africa, his first winter here. And it's like, what am I doing in Quebec? And, you know, thank you so much for being patient. It's ministry, what you're doing. That's the work of the ministry, okay? Uh, but I wonder, we could have the house lights on as we finish up here. I wonder if there are those of you in this room. You see, this word serve, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus went to a cross as the atonement, the covering for your sin and my sin. We have a major problem with God. We cannot have a proper, healthy, uh, holy relationship with God by nature. We are incapable of doing this because of our sin. We cannot religion our way there. We cannot good works our way there. We cannot do anything to get to God. We can try, but we'll always keep falling. We'll always keep stumbling. We'll never make it to have a healthy, proper, consistent, godly, holy relationship with our Creator. We are in a mess. This is why Jesus came. He came to solve that problem, to give himself as a ransom for many, to die on a cross as an atonement for your sin and my sin, even in the 21st century. You really want to know what ministry is, that's ministry. And when you grab a hold of that and when you apply that to your life, he begins to live through you. It's not just you living yourself. It's God living through you. And I wonder, as we finish today, if there's anybody in this room and you say, you know, I do not have that. I know that I know that I do not have God in my life. I know a little bit about him. I'm learning things about him. But I do not know God personally. If you were to ask me that question, I cannot answer that question with any sense of conviction. I do not know him personally, and you want to starting today. If that's you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray with you and give you a chance to just acknowledge what you prayed uh, before we finish up today. If I could just have a moment of privacy, if you're comfortable closing your eyes. I know people are always looking around, who's responding, who's responding. You want to close your eyes, and nobody sees anybody. It's just me, you, and God. God, I come to you, and I recognize that I do not know you, and I want to, I want to have a conviction that I know my Creator personally. And so, Jesus, if that's true, and that can happen, then I apply your death to my life. Forgive me of my sin and come and live through me that I may know God personally. Amen.